So welcome, welcome everybody. It's uh, what a delight uh, to be practicing and studying together with all of you and with my good friends here. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Diana, and uh, the four of us have been teaching together. I don't know how many classes we've done, more than a dozen, or maybe around a dozen classes together. And what a delight it is to some of my favorite things to be poking around in the suttas and hanging around with beautiful people. And maybe with that, I'll pass it on to Ying. Yeah, I'll just add my uh, welcome voice as well. So good to see um, many faces that we've seen before and some of the new ones joining. So such a delight to start the day for, for me in the morning here. Yeah, welcome. Hopefully we'll have fun in this class. And, uh, I'll pick up from where Ying leaves off just uh you know, we I can't begin one of these classes without a pretty large size smile. It really is. Uh, we do have a good time. We do have fun. And uh, although that may seem sort of uh, counterintuitive when when combining study with anything, the four of us have found, in fact, this began as conversations among the four of us about bringing the study of the, the Buddha's discourses into our practices in a, a live, awake way. And um we loved it so much. We wanted to share it with others. So appreciate you joining us in this exploration. Kim. Yeah, I would also like to add my welcome to all of you. And this was a particularly interesting uh, course for us to talk about, think about design, because we knew that these uh, suttas that we're going to be looking at, these two are clearly related, um, and yet there are differences that start to emerge between them as we look at them. We we wrangled a bit on the title, and finally, uh, when it was suggested getting to the heart of practice, it just settled. It's like, yes, that's it. And that's a lot of what we're aiming for here is, well, you know, what's the heart? What's the essence that we can get to? So, um, as usual, I have the joy of uh, saying a bit about the group that's joining us uh, we are from nine countries and 17 U.S. states that I could count. Um, we didn't manage to uh, ask on the this registration form your motivations for joining or interests or things like that. And those of you who have seen that on multiple of our other forms, maybe you were glad for that. I'm not sure. Um, but I thought I would take the opportunity to um, just kind of ask a couple of questions with a, maybe a show of hands. So first of all, um, how many of you have done one of our study and practice classes before? Who has done it before? Okay, so we see some hands. But that means we also have people, how many people have not done this before? Look at that, we have some new ones. Yay, welcome to everyone. We are delighted both to be sharing this with old friends and to introduce these kinds of classes to new people. Um, and now, how many of you feel that study is already at this point an important part of your practice? It's something that you incorporate. Yeah, great. Look at that. Almost everyone. And yet, um, those, so that may give some encouragement to those of you who didn't feel like you could raise your hand there. Um, maybe you'll find an inspiration to fold this in in some way. So welcome to everyone. Welcome to 
all of you who are joining for various reasons, whether it's for the uh, interest in these particular suttas, whether it's to learn more about the suttas, whether it's to learn how to apply what this is in your life, you know, how would these teachings really apply? Maybe you just like to do this with a group and you're into the community. So all of those and more. Um, yeah, so with that, maybe we'll go ahead and get started. David can say a bit of, of an overview to kick us off. Yeah, sometimes at the beginning of these classes, we like to say something about our aims or objectives for the classes. And uh, these are loosely held or lightly held. Uh, they'll sometimes shift as we go, as we explore together in, in a pretty alive a way, these discourses. We don't have our minds made up <laughs> about how they fit into all of our practices, you know. Um, but in this particular exploration of these two suttas, uh, two suttas from the Majjhima Nikaya 29 and 107, we wanted particularly to sort of, I guess our overarching aim may be to appreciate the fullness of the path that is outlined in the suttas. It's not a simple thing. It's not just about mindfulness. It's not just about the meditation practice or establishing good, um, virtuous conduct. In this gradual training, a gradual training that we've explored in a previous class and gradual training you may have met elsewhere, at various points, challenges can arise, challenges do arise. And the suttas themselves, these two and others, give us some suggestions about how to meet the kinds of challenges that come up probably in most of our practices at one time or another. And we characterize these two in this in this uh, class as um, um, veering off the path and um, falling short of um, the the aims of the path. And we'll explore them by talking about the, or looking at them through the similes of the metaphor, uh, the similes of the heartwood, the search for the heartwood, and uh, the the uh, following instructions from one one location to another. And these suttas give us some tools for recognizing and gently assessing our progress on the path or how the extent to which we're um, close to the path and assuring ourselves that we're practicing in ways that are onward leading, that keep us, keep us moving toward um, the goal of liberation or being more awake in the world. So those are aims, both general and specific, uh, general then specific. And to move back out to the general again, Maybe maybe one of our uh, most important overarching aims is just to encourage us all to keep practicing. These discourses really recognize that for the vast majority of us, the path isn't linear. It doesn't unfold easily from point A to point B. Um, and in very specific ways, uh, suggest how we might meet um, uh, meet these these challenges in our in our practice. So there are some of our Overarching aims, we'll see uh, as we go forward whether we add additional objectives, but that's how we, that's where we start. Ying. Yeah, thank you, David. Uh, can you all hear me okay? Okay. All right. So I'm going to start off uh, with um, the first sutta that uses uh, the simile of the heartwood. I was very delighted to reading this sutta because I know very little about a heartwood. <laughs> and uh, reading this sutta really kind of 
uh, and did a little research about the hardwood and really kind of enlivened uh, this teaching for me. And so I thought uh, maybe what I will do is um, to show you some pictures about the tree anatomy. And as we kind of look at the pictures of uh, the trees, and we'll uh, talk a little bit about how uh, in this teaching, uh, using the simile of the heartwood, that the Buddha pointed out various ways that one may stop short of the final goal, kind of like what David was pointing out, uh, for, uh, fall short. Uh, because maybe we got caught, uh, maybe we ran into difficulties, and in various ways that this may happen. And the uh, sutta encourages us, uh, as David was saying, keep practicing. And that's kind of the underlying message. But um, it's uh, interesting to kind of look at uh, some of the points that the uh, Buddha mentioned in terms of where people could get caught. And maybe we find different ways that we get caught uh, in our own practice. And it's worthwhile for us to reflect and uh, uh, understand this. So let me see if I could share a screen here. So, well, the sutta started out um, by uh, offering this simile of someone who's um, interested in going to the forest to find hardwood. And, um, and this is like, um, you know, us who may run into difficulties in our life and uh, looking for ways uh, to end stress or find freedom in our heart and mind. And uh, the heartwood uh, is um, the innermost part of the tree trunk, usually. And uh, in order to find hardwood, the first thing is you have to find the tree that has the hardwood. So not all trees <laughs> has hardwood. <laughs> in the Sutta, and the Buddha spoke about um People heard that uh, the Buddha offers teachings that uh, has this potential of ending dukkha. So they join the monastic sangha. They come to uh, to meet the Buddha and uh, wanted to join the monastic sangha, and that's the first step. And so similarly here, one would have to first find the tree that has the hardwood. And so, for example. Pine trees, ash trees, those are the trees that has hardwood. And so maybe for us, when we come to Sati Center, <laughs> Insight Meditation Center, where the teachings um, uh, are offered and that has a potential um, to allow this um, uh, end goal to be fulfilled. And so that's the first step. Now, uh, once um, we find the, um, the heartwood. The next step, um, that is highlighted in this gradual training based on the Susutta 
uh, is that one then began in various ways to engage uh, with the practice in some ways. And the simile is used kind of in this outside-in way. And so the outermost part of um, the tree is twigs and leaves. They're quite fragile and they're very easy to fall apart. The heartwood instead is something that is very durable and strong. And they're usually used to make houses, um, long-lasting furnitures, for example. And this uh, simile uh, spoke about, uh, well, some people come to the heartwood, uh, to the tree that has heartwood, but they end up only grabbing some twigs and leaves. And they said, that's it. You know, I'm done. <laughs> this is the hardwood. And you can imagine, uh, you know, use this to build a house. <laughs> Probably won't last much. And uh, this analogy is um, as if people who uh, join the monastic sangha, uh, especially if you think about joining a famous sangha like what the Buddha led, you know, maybe they uh, have some fame or, you know, they have no trouble getting alms food, their belly is full, <laughs> they're happy with just that much. And um, they are not engaging in any form of a practice. And this way, it uh, is considered as stopping short. And we can think of our modern-day parallel in this way as well. And so, for example, we may read a few books, and maybe we have read a lot of books, <laughs> but we don't really put um, our, um, uh, we don't really put in our effort in uh, practicing it uh, to offer possibilities of shifting and changing in the embodied way, in our heart and mind. And so, may some people may get, um, and may feel that we uh, accumulated a lot of information uh, based on the book reading, um, but we, um, but it, we haven't really practiced with the way. And this is more or less like staying at this kind of chat GPT level. <laughs> so we okay, have a lot of information spitting out, uh, but doesn't really change us in any way. So that's the first, uh, first um, step in this gradual training. It goes from outside in. And for some people, uh, they're not satisfied with just um, the outer layer. And, and they began to do some form of a practice. And in this uh, tree anatomy, you see there are outer layer of outer barks, and there is inner barks, and there's a still kind of outside of the tree trunks. And they're stronger than the leaves and twigs, um, but they won't um, be possible to be used to build something long-lasting. And this analogy of outer and inner barks uh, in the Susutta uh, is that some people may uh, start practicing uh, in some way, 
um, by maybe following the monastic rules. And the sutta used the word um, accomplished in virtual. Uh, maybe they think, oh, you know, I, I'm not, no longer breaking any monastic um, code. And they're happy with that. But they haven't really turned inward. So they turned inward into the inner trunk or inner bark, the heart of our practice. And they can stop short uh, by simply hovering uh, in that level and not keep going. We can probably see Sometimes we may end up doing this ourselves. You know, we think that, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're good people, right? You know, quite ethical, and maybe that's good enough. But without looking inward um, carefully, there can be ways that we get caught and that leads to suffering that we don't quite notice, we don't quite recognize. So if we keep going in the Susutta, it spoke about uh, some people may keep going and knowing that the outer barks are not sufficient and they'll look at, uh, they'll uh, grab the inner barks. Well, that takes a little more work, right? You kind of have to shed the outer layers and get to the inner bark. And this is like uh, one began to uh, cultivate samadhi. There is the inner cultivation that's going on. And some people may stop a short right there. You know, I, oh, you know, I'm able to sit quietly for half an hour. That's good enough. And that's pretty good and offers me some ease, some happiness. At the moment you get out of the meditation, you know, going about, you know, driving on the highway and somebody cut the line immediately, <laughs> getting angry and, um, the dukkha comes again. And so if we're just um, stopping at um, this, this will be called as a stopping short. It can go even further in, inward in this tree. Um, so Kim took this photo uh, on a hiking trail. So you can see that there's this inner trunk um, that's called sapwood or softwood. They're more moist and they look very much similar to the inside of the trunk. In fact, for this uh, picture, I can't even tell <laughs> exactly where the boundaries of a hardwood is versus the softwood. But the softwood and sapwood, um, and they are prone to uh, insects, bugs, and they're easy to rotten uh, when there's moisture or when there's a rain. So they're certainly more long-lasting than the other parts. And this is like some people may have gained a certain knowledge, certain insights in the practice, and not stopping short uh, like previously. Uh, but they, ha they haven't finished. Uh, they have not uh, completed the training. If they're stopping short, the house may still rotten. And so the heartwood, which is the innermost part of the tree trunk, is that is durable, strong, and resistant to decay. This is like uh, the training when it really matures. 
it offers a long-lasting well-being. And so I wanted to uh, maybe summarize by saying what this sutta is pointing to is not so much about when we stop, but rather we keep practicing. In the way, the practice does not stop. At some point, the practice because of become our nature. In a way, we're kind of becoming heartwood. And so, thank you. And so that's what I will say for now. Going to thank you, Ying. Really wonderful. <laughs> really great to see those images. Um, yeah. So now we'd like to do sort of a brief small group exploration. We're we're setting this up carefully. Ying has instead of diving right into the sutta and its passages, we've we've sort of taken a visual look at at what this simile that dominates this sutta looks like, what it means, um, and maybe uh, for those of us who've, and that's probably most of us, have seen um, seen twigs and leaves, seen branches, seen bark, seen trees, possibly even into the inner core, we may have never thought of it quite this way. Perhaps we're a little less intimate with trees and their characteristics than uh, the Buddha and his followers were. And uh, we'd like to, we'd like to sort of ask a couple questions in the breakout room that will, in a sense, put us in touch with that heartwood in ways that we can feel. Uh, looking to why we began practicing and what, what keeps us practicing. And with the, with the understanding that these questions point two directions, they sort of point inward to the heartwood, you might say, of our practice, to the heart of our practice. And at the same time, they're onward leading. They point forward. They um, help us um, motivate us and maybe keep us keep us moving uh, in search of the heartwood and not stopping at twigs and leaves, not stopping at the outer bark or even that inner um, the 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 what what lies within the first layer of bark, but keeps us keeps us focused on the goal of practice. So uh, I trust that Diana has set up the groups. Let me give you two specific questions. We're going to be in groups for about 12 minutes. And uh, we can, we suggest maybe kind of going around in a spiral fashion, each person just contributing one thought that comes up, making this sort of a, um, a listening exercise as much as one where we're, we're sharing uh, our own, our own practice. And uh, perhaps as each person adds and the circle goes around, there will be some additional things that, that come up for each individual and for the for the small group. So the two questions, take them up maybe in order. Uh, we'll maybe drop the second one all the way through and possibly one of my colleagues is entering them in the chat are simply, why did you start practicing? What brought you to practice? Why did you start? What was that early motivation? And then what keeps you practicing? So those two questions, why did you start practicing? What keeps you practicing are ways to uh, explore in an early way, kind of touch in with the heartwood of practice. So, Diana, when you're ready, send us off into groups. Enjoy. Any questions emerging? 
we'd love to get a sense of how uh, how this is landing for you and possibly get a sense of, yeah, why you started practicing, what keeps you going uh, in your search for in your search for the heartwood of the practice. Uh, Jomi. Hi. Um, thank you to other teachers for being here. I, I'm loving this. Um, the thinking about my beginning of my practice, um, I've been in recovery for 33 years, and that was the beginning when I began going to Spirit Rock with the questions of what's this all about and looking deeper. Yeah. Um, and I'm realizing I come from a family of lumberjacks, a history of people cutting down trees and, and sawing them up for various reasons, building houses. Yeah. And part of that was the teaching that for every tree you take, you plant three in, in its place, hoping that at least one of them will take root. And I've always treasured that visual. Um, part of the the path that I'm seeing is I feel like I'm one of those beetles that bores into the, the bark and then realizes there's more and bores into that and realizes there's more. And I just kind of, the more I bore into this, the more I realize there's more and there's more and it's so rich and it encourages me to keep boring through to find out what's more, what's more. How can I apply this to my life? And it becomes the practice. It becomes the continuing boring, that opening up of the new information, the new sapwood. And hopefully, eventually, I'll get to the heartwood. And though I see glimpses of it, it's very exciting. It's very exciting to actually experience it and have it open up as I as I bore into this. So... Thank you so much, Ying, for the visual. It helped help me open up to what was my story. And I wasn't really realizing it until we started talking in our group. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joni. What a wonderful perspective and uh, and the, an expansion of the metaphor. Uh, it's actually really quite nice to have someone here who is of lumberjacks, <laughs> uh, you know, comes from, comes from, comes from that experience. And, uh, uh, that that metaphor of boring down deeper uh, is so so useful, um, particularly if we imagine you're not you know a destructive uh, species of beetle, but just a beetle in in search of heartwood. Uh, but that yeah, finding the next depth, the next layer, and knowing that there's a center, that there's a you know that there's heartwood. So very lovely. Maybe I'll add on to it, Joni, while you were speaking, you said you were a beetle. And then I started to think, oh, and maybe sometimes we're like woodpeckers that we're making nests or making homes. And these little holes, right, also can be used by other creatures. They get used when the woodpeckers leave. And so like there's a whole, I mean, there's so many different ways in which we can interact uh, with trees, quote unquote, practice and uh, and different. It's not just us. I wanted to say, right? It's just a whole number of organisms. I don't know what word to use, like uh, creatures. Just this generic uh, word. So, thank you, Jody. And I would just say, I see, I see, handle your hand up. Give me one second. I just uh, reflecting on what Diana says. Um, 
the metaphors, we make our own. These similes are there for us to practice with. They're suggested in the suttas because they invite us in. They invite the imagination in. They create a role for imagination. And uh, it, so so they're, the, the suttas are very rich in similes, and sometimes we pass right over them. But I love this opportunity to, to dig in deep like Joni's uh, beetle. So yeah, uh, Hendel, I saw your hand. That's a legitimate way to raise it. If if you're off, if you, you might also use your Zoom hand, anybody else, just because we might not see it. But go ahead. Yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, just uh, as someone who's identified with trees, uh, the you know, this is the leaves, mm. and uh, this is the bark. Um, there's a, and uh, what's known in some somatic modalities is the center line is the heartwood. Mm. Yeah, nice. Um, and that relates to a, to also an effortlessness of, you know, the the of sensing the heartwood um, being about listening and sensitivity, you know, it's not a, it is not, and uh, yeah, the, the slap, sap flows for us at, you know, around 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. So it's so uh, visceral. It's so much about being alive. Nice. Thank you for that. And again, I see Kim unmuting, but I'll say first just, uh, yeah, another way to make use of this wonderful metaphor to see ourselves as the tree and recognize in the simile some of our own way of being in the world. Perhaps there's ways we're not that different from trees, and certainly we're linked with trees as other as other beings so quite lovely kim yeah oh yeah i just wanted to say what a beautiful analogy and we'll be doing a meditation later that may have a few echoes of what you said thank you yeah any other questions reflections those are very lovely and kind of get us into the simile in a couple different ways and suggest that there's a lot of different ways for each of us perhaps another way to um explore the simile. Eileen. Good morning, everyone. Um, It's making me aware of the fact that my picture in the background is a tree uh, that I, that kind of tree here that I love very much. Uh, Beautiful tree. It has, some people call it flame tree. We call it Ohai Ula. It's a red tree that has pretty hard bark. So um, on the inside. And, uh, but it's also, um, the question why we continue is really what stuck with me and why I feel that I continue is most largely curiosity. Uh, I want to know what the deathless is. I want to know what, what is that doesn't arise and pass that doesn't. um, Yeah. That basically what, what is it that doesn't arise and pass? And I want to know what that is. And I don't want to, I'm not going to stop until I find out what it is. I don't have any idea what it is, but that's what I want to know. So thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you, Eileen, for, for that question. 
or that comment. Yeah, you point out the, you know, in a way, how lovely it is to let curiosity be something that keeps us from stopping short, right? Wanting to, just wanting to know more. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe maybe that is part of the Beatles search <laughs> for Hartwood or, you know, the way we stand in our own practice. But um, yeah, the curiosity that that keeps us moving forward is, is it a, can be for many of us a way of not stopping short. Ying, I see you on mute. Yeah, I, I, I really celebrate that. I also wanted to say that the curiosity is also a form of a being humble that we don't know yet. You know, it's a, in the sutta, uh, the folks who, who grabbed the twigs and leaves and they left, the sutta's language used that they departed, imagining, thinking this is it. <laughs> they thought they knew. <laughs> So, um, so this being curious, being humble and keep going. And really it's uh, very important on this path. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have time for one more question or reflection if there is one. And let's just see if another hand pops up. There we go. Yeah. Akmaral. Yeah. I, um, I have a question, and I don't know if that's something that we'll be, uh, you know, we'll discuss later. Is um, the suit? I'm understanding the suit is presuming that you know when we grab the, let's say the twigs and whatnot, we are aware that that's what we're doing, and kind of, but we're not aware that there's more to it. I wonder if sometimes you know we stop without being aware that, oh, we stop or we're not looking, how do I even know whether I'm going on and or I stop? Um, who is there to tell me that? Or is it a sense that I'm supposed to be feeling? Yeah, those are great questions. And Diane is going to answer them in just a minute. Diane is going to talk in just a minute and she'll probably address some of them. But you point, you point out that there's a lot of different ways that we can be variously unaware and aware of what we're doing. Maybe we feel satisfied with twigs and leaves because it's enough or we feel for the moment that it's enough or we're not, we don't have Eileen's curiosity moving us forward. Or perhaps we're totally unaware that that's what we're doing. And as Ying pointed out in her visual, it's only when we go to try to build a boat or a house or something out of twigs and leaves that we go, oh, this isn't, this isn't at all. There's, there's more, or this isn't sufficient for, uh, for, for the practice to find its full expression for me. So very, very nice, nice that you discriminate and distinguish between at least three, if I heard them correctly, ways and possibly more ways in which we might stop, um, stop short. So let me, I'll, I'll kind of bring it to a close there and pass it to Diana, who's going to get into some of these, some of the more details about why we might stop short and what we might be thinking when we do so. Thank you, David. Thank you, Akmaral, just for setting things up. Really nice for uh, me to talk about this now. So this question, well, what stops us? What keeps us from going further? And uh, we can look at some of what's in the sutta as maybe for some guidance or for some ideas. And uh, if you allow me, I uh, interpreted some of what we read there and some ways in which we could use as some clues or suggestions or support as ways to go forward. 
So I'll read a little bit from uh, this, the beginning of Majjhima 29. Um, probably some of you read this sutta and thought, oh my goodness, there's a lot of repetition in there. And maybe some of you didn't even read it at all. And that's uh, perfectly fine. We'll uh, work with that here. But I'm going to start here that uh, um, in the second section, the Buddha is giving instructions. And I'm doing uh, Bhikkhu Sujato's translation. And he says, mendicants. So, you know, monastics are his followers. Take the case of a gentleman who has gone forth from the lay life to homelessness. So this is somebody who is ordained to go from uh, lay, lay life to homelessness means to ordain. Gone forth from the lay life to homelessness thinking, I'm swamped by rebirth, old age and death, by sorrow, lamentation, pain, sadness and distress. I'm swamped by suffering, mired in suffering. So it's the idea that right here's somebody who has a lot of suffering, not just an oak described in a number of different ways. And this is why that they have started practice. For me, it's a little bit interesting that Bhika Bodhi, his, in his translation, he's using the expression. I am a victim of birth, aging, and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. So just this idea of like, ah, feeling overwhelmed. So that might be a way in which we are stopping in the practice is because we're feeling overwhelmed. And we're feeling like, okay, we just don't have the capacity to do more. Or maybe because we're overwhelmed, we're not seeing clearly, quote unquote, that we are thinking like, okay, these twigs and leaves are, uh, it's from a tree, it must be hardwood. Or maybe we feel like, oh, it's too much work to get to the hardwood. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I can't do more. These twigs and leaves are going to have to work. And for me, I was thinking about uh, taking the Buddha's metaphor and turn it into like a contemporary one. And I was thinking like, well, maybe it's like when you go to one of those big box stores or maybe one of those home improvement big box stores and you have this idea, okay, if I get this, it'll make something in my kitchen work better. But then you go to the store and it's not so easy to find what you need. And then you realize it's way up on one of those top shelves. And you're like, oh my gosh. And now I have to find somebody to get it. And I can't find anybody to get it. And okay, I'll just get this. This is easier. And you go home with something else. But just because you were feeling like overwhelmed or like you didn't have the quite the capacity. So sometimes we might use this expression as like having doubt having doubt in our capacity. But something with this is not recognizing that our capacity increases with practice. So we just feel like, okay, the version that I am today, we're thinking is the same version that has to get the heart with, but not recognizing that um, every time we practice, our capacity is growing and maybe not really gaining the appreciation that the version that's going to get the heart would the version of ourselves that's going to get the heart word is not the same version of ourselves right now. So then this sutta continues. So the Buddha is describing, again, this uh, person who is, has gone forth. When they've gone forth, that means when they've ordained, they generate possessions, honor, and popularity. And they're happy with that. They've got all they wished for, and they glorify themselves and put others down because of that. 
I'm the one with possessions, honor, and popularity. These other mendicants, they're obscure and insignificant. So there's a way in which um, one way, there's probably a few ways, but one way we might uh, interpret this and why we stop going further is maybe we're doing some like what's called maybe spiritual bypassing. Like we're using this practice that is supposed to help us work with difficulties as a way to avoid working with the difficulties in our life. Or, and difficulties I'll say maybe are this unfinished business of the heart. I love this expression that Jack Cornfield calls like this, have this recognize that this unfinished business. So we're doing something that makes us feel better in the short term and neglecting things that will help us to gain the capacity and to find the heartwood. So this putting others down, poofing ourselves up. These are ways that we might like, use spiritual practices like is a, to cling to these views and ideas instead of doing the hard work of looking at ourselves or learning to calm the mind or to understand ourselves or something like this. So maybe this way of lauding ourselves and disparaging others, maybe it's a way of a spiritual bypassing. We're holding on to this so that we just make ourselves feel good and maybe even we think look good so that we don't have to do any more work, don't have to do the dirty, messy, difficult work of getting towards the heart mind. So then um, the sutta continues. So it's, I'm the one with possessions, honor, and popularity. These other mendicants are obscure and significant. And so they become indulgent and fall into negligence. And being negligent, they live in suffering. So maybe there's a way in which we could interpret this as there's getting distracted or forgetting. This becoming indulgent and falling into negligence is another way we might even say getting intoxicated. That's how Bhikkhubodhi translates this. So we're just um, getting distracted by what's happening. Maybe. Maybe we have uh, what we've touched into or discovered with practice um, is so much better than what we've had before. Maybe this certain amount of calm that we've had before um, makes feel like, okay, this is so much better than what I had. I'm just going to stay here. Or maybe we found some beautiful states of mind, some meditative states that uh, bring, they just naturally bring some little bit of happiness or gladness or joy or delight with them. And I feel like, okay, that's good enough. I'm just going to stay with that. So we're kind of like getting distracted or thinking that that's good enough, or maybe we're, it's enough to forget the reason why we came to practice. <laughs> and for me, I was thinking like, okay, well, what would be a modern day kind of like contemporary analogy, like reinterpreting the Buddha's analogy of being happy with twigs and leaves and twigs and leaves and not going to the heartwood. I, I thought to me, it's like, well, maybe it's like going to the grocery store and you're looking for milk and pasta 
and you come home with milk and crackers and sauerkraut and a candy bar, right? <laughs> Something like whatever was on sale and had these big signs and look, this is great. You know, and we like, oh, okay, I'll get this and I'm in a hurry. So I'm going to go home and then, or just pick this up and realize when we get home, oh yeah, I got part of what I needed, but not realizing that I didn't get everything that I needed. And right when we go to the grocery store, the grocery store is not designed to make it as easy as possible for us to get exactly what we want, right? They're putting the things, they put things on the end of the aisles or have big signs or sales or this kind of stuff to try to distract us or try to try to have us forget what we want, but instead to do or buy what they want us to buy. So we're so often having this um, pressures to do something else. So it may, we might think of it as a way of getting intoxicated. You know, not literally, maybe literally, but this way of getting like, oh, okay, this is great. This sauerkraut's on sale and I heard that I should eat fermented things. So I'm just going to get this, buying that instead of uh, what we need. So, but we might also say that, um, this is kind of like losing sight with what brought us to the practice to begin with, kind of like allowing ourselves to be disconnected or distracted from that. We might even say it's a way in which we hear so many Dharma teachings, go to so many classes, read so many suttas, um, that we, discon- we get disconnected from the foundational teachings and thinking that more of these obscure ones or these detailed ones are really what's important. And they seem easier or funner or something like this. And I say this, right, as a Dharma teacher and somebody who does a lot of teaching and sutta study, but it can, we can fall into this trap of thinking like, okay, just more information is what's needed. And losing sight of some of these foundational teachings, there is suffering. There's a cause of suffering. There's an ending of suffering. And there's a path leading to the ending of suffering. We might lose touch with those types of things. So getting distracted or forgetting might be one of the reasons that we lose or we stop short. And then, and then maybe there's this one, we could say that, um, that we've overestimated our practice. Maybe we have touched into something that we that is noteworthy for us and maybe different and new than what we've experienced before. We're thinking like, oh, okay, this is it. This, or we might think that we have some big attainment or experience that's not quite the whole way, but because it's so different than what we've experienced before, we think it is the whole way. In this sutta, it's. Um, described as the the, uh, the Buddha is describing somebody who takes the branches and leaves instead of the heartwood. He says, passing over the heartwood, softwood, bark, and shoots, he cuts off the branches and leaves into parts, imagining they are heartwood. So we're thinking that this is what we're looking for, but not realizing that they're branches and leaves. So this way that we might overestimate where we are. And one thing that I will say that I say this from my experience, both in my role as a practitioner and in my role as a Dharma teacher, 
there's a, an odd thing about this path of practice. And we're using this language path, which suggests like kind of like a linear and a beginning and an end. There's other language we could use, but for this course, we're, we're going to do with this idea of a path. An interesting thing about this path is you're pretty much guaranteed any assessment you have of where you are in the path is wrong. <laughs> it's not until later you realize like, oh, that's what was happening. I thought it was this, but you can't, you don't really understand where you are until you're in a different place. So it's a curious thing that happened. So just like hold any of these ideas of where you are on the path just lightly. I just want to like throw that out there. So maybe I'll talk a little bit now just about this encouragement to continue on this path, to not stop, right? We have, there's perfectly legitimate reasons why we might stop things about our own personal life, things about um, just, I mean, the Buddha can recognize these things about doubt or um, not having equanimity, you know, feeling uh, or having feeling like grabbing or clinging to lots of things, right? So much of the teachings are about this. But I want to point out something that when the four of us were planning and talking about this talk, it's so much fun for us because we like brainstorm ideas. And here's something I don't remember who, which one of us said this, but um, it got captured in our notes. Again, if we use this idea that this is a path and it's kind of like you go from one end to the other. And I, I do want us to hold this lightly, but keeping that idea at each phase of the path, there's a hint of the next phase. It's not like we go step one, completely stop, then go to step two, completely stop, or three, completely stop. It's it's like, oh, there's like, maybe we have this, uh, sometimes I use the language of, there's a, a hint or maybe like the scent, the fragrance of what's coming next before we've completely embodied it or experienced it and or maybe we just have this intuitive sense oh yeah there's I can feel like there's something deeper available I can feel like there's some more collectedness or some more well-being I can feel like there's some more settledness available I there's something that makes me feel like that and even often we don't put this into words and we don't use these sentences to ourselves but part of this path is learning to hear or smell the next step and maybe a little bit of our intuition or something like this. So I'm just offering this as kind of like an encouragement to continue. And then I'll just in that brief minute that I I had here, I'll just say that at the, this, uh, after going this, through all these different uh, steps in the sutta, it ends with this idea that um, we can achieve irreversible liberation and unshakable freedom of heart. Irreversible, unshakable. These are the words that are being used. And these words are not always used as the end of the path, but I think they're being used here. This is my interpretation just to highlight the difference from, oh yeah, okay, we've had an ending maybe of a little bit of suffering. We might think it's the end, but there's a way when some there's this irreversible or unshakable, there's a way in which we can recognize, oh yeah, now I just can see that this is no longer 
possible for me to think that um, stealing things is a good idea. It's no longer possible for me to think that harming others is fine, doesn't matter, for example. So just to recognize that there is this way in which there's this irreversibility and unshakability. And I'd like to suggest that we can sense that. Maybe a modern day analogy I'll use for that is like when we learn to read. At first, it's just gobbledygook on the page, right? These marks on a page don't make any sense at all. And then we learn the letters. And then we learn that the letters make uh, words. And then we learn the words make sentences. And never again will you be able to look at something written down and not being able to read it once you've learned how to read it. And you have that sense, oh, yeah, this is irreversible, barring some mental dysfunction. And I know that I will always be able to read this. Okay. So with that, um, I'll pass it off to Kim. Thank you. So perhaps we have a sense of this uh, sutta and the idea of the heartwood and the engagement with the different steps so that we keep moving along from a couple of different angles at this point. We've heard about it. We've seen pictures. We've talked with people. So now we're going to try a meditation together. So um, please find a posture or a position where you can sit for, I don't know, 15 minutes or so. Allow yourself to settle in, perhaps closing the eyes if that's comfortable for you to bring the attention more inward, maybe consciously balancing the body. So leaning maybe back slightly. Sometimes we lean forward into the screen. So making sure that you're actually in an upright and balanced position. Maybe feeling into the Places of contact, your seat against the cushion or the chair, or maybe you're lying down, sensing what is supporting you, just softening into that and allowing yourself to be supported, while also maintaining an upright or straight, relaxed posture. Perhaps consciously softening the eyes in the eye sockets. Letting them expand rather than be focused tight. Letting the shoulders soften. Drop a bit. Bringing some ease down through the chest and the belly. Perhaps on the out-breath, releasing any obvious unneeded tension. And softening the arms and the legs. 
we may notice in the mind that there are some thoughts or emotions, perhaps kind of fluttering in the breeze like leaves. And we can sense that these surface disturbances are just the activity of the daily life mind. We can direct a bit more energy and attention to our mindfulness. Letting go of our engagement with the fluttery thoughts. As we do so, we connect into the posture more clearly. We can have a global sense of the body in the sitting posture. Perhaps we have a general sense of the surface of the body. We may feel the skin itself or the heat. So we broadly know the shape. We can incline toward Settling, keeping the body somewhat still. And as the body comes to rest, Often the breathing is the clearest sensation. Connecting now with the sensations of the in and out breathing. Breath draws into the body, into the interior. On the out-breath, there's a softening, easing, relaxing, if we allow it. Using the gentle in and out breathing, the rhythmic stability of that to also stabilize the mind further, sensing the mindfulness, simple awareness of the present moment. For 
for now, there's nothing else to do. There's nowhere to go. Just sitting. Allowing the tissues of the body to soften further, releasing the more subtle forms of tension that we may carry in the chest or the arms, the back. And we sense that the breath is connected to a subtler energy of the body. Breath is not only in the lungs, is it? It's as if it comes in as energy that can flow down into the belly. Maybe the breath even flows into the arms and legs and head. That vitality is spread throughout the body. So letting go of our anatomical sense of the body, touching into this simpler flow of energy. Sensing the deep rest available when the mind and the body harmonize. Sensing that the breath isn't something we need to do. It just arrives. We allow the in-breath. We release the out-breath. There's a part of the mind that is knowing all of this. The awareness, the knowing, 
that can hold subtle energy, body sensations, even the fluttery thoughts and emotions, all are known by this capacity for awareness. So letting go of the doing of meditation to rest in this wholeness of body and mind and awareness. the way a tree stands in its wholeness. Its roots, its trunk, its twigs and leaves, softwood, heartwood. There is so much to this human life. So many layers. Can keep going. Keep letting go our fixation with any given one to discover more, to journey inward to the very heart of practice. Oh, thank you, Kim, for this uh, sweet meditation. So now, by now, um, 
this class, I have offered uh, several different modality of learning, practicing uh, with the sutta. And so you've had the chance to uh, receive some uh, Dharma teachings and you had the chance to share, reflect, and ask questions. And you have a chance to practice together meditatively. And so we'll open up again uh, for any additional questions or reflections or something you'd like to share um, based on what's being offered uh, today. You're all very quiet after the meditation. <laughs> hmm. I okay, so um, Robin. Hi there. Um, in a short period here, just since we've been here, right before we went into the chat room, um, I've been practicing um, meditation for two, uh, 12 years and um, practicing Buddhism, entered the path um, about 10 years ago. And I attend a lot of sanghas. I, you know, I read books, kind of everything that was being said earlier. And um I realized just in your opening talk and the presentation on the heartwood that I, I don't think I was being very intentional um, on this path. I think I was, I've been committed to practicing and I've been committed to, to learning. And I think I was doing a lot of conceptualizing and then occasionally either on retreat or just maybe during practice or something, one of those concepts or one of these teachings will like land in a place where it's integrated. And so like um, Diana was saying with reading, you know, once you have that, um, you don't <laughs> unlearn it, you don't stop. And, um, but I don't think that, I've been intentional and now I see that like in the way that I interact, you know, I'm not mindful, I'm not present, you know, I'm not really maybe living, especially like the foundational teachings and whatnot. I just keep kind of going forward and taking in, taking in and every once in a while something integrates, becomes a part of my path. But, you know, I, my, expectations here to be honest with you were that high I thought well let's see what this is my practice has been a little shaky um, this year after a retreat that I went to and almost a year ago super powerful and transformative but right after the retreat it's like my practice my meditation practice seemed to fall apart or go somewhere you know I was I've, I've been struggling with getting back to 
And I think there's no going back to because I think I went forward and I kept trying to get back to that basic place that I was on the path and it seemed like something wrong. So then I was making something wrong, adding a lot of struggle to it. But um, so I thought, well, maybe coming to this course or series of teachings might help me, you know, get back on better track with my practice. But my expectations, you know, this morning it was like, oh, I kind of want to sleep in. I don't know if I'm going to go. But I will just say, I know I'm talking a long time. I will just say I am so glad that I came. And I'm getting so much from this just in this short amount of time. So I'm really happy that you're offering this. And I just want to thank everybody else who's here together with us. Yeah, thank you, Robin, for your share. Yeah, we can be in this place sometimes, um, you know, even after a very transformative experience, uh, um, it may open a new layer where we kind of, kind of like what Diana said, we get overwhelmed, you know, don't quite know what to do. Uh, but then uh, uh, as you're beautifully saying, you know, we find our way back and this, uh, you know, the woodpecker kind <laughs> of digging different holes and so beautiful yeah thank you thank you for sharing that we'll do one more uh winnie this will be the last one for today well i was going to say something similar but i was really uh struck by you know the comment that um that was made about that's not good enough and um and and so and, and that we have to continue to work hard um, mm-hmm. and do the difficult work. And so I was reflecting on, well, how much more work do I have to do? I've been doing this like for 15 plus years, and I feel like I haven't made a whole lot of progress because I'm still, you know, feeling, you know, there's a lot of things that I'm not doing right. And then the comment about, you know, after you, to retreat, what happens after the retreat? You know, I've taken several retreats with, you know, the, the IRC. But I still really can't figure out. And, and the other thing is I like being with people. I don't like doing it alone. That's what I was going to say. And I wonder if you have any thoughts or comments about, you know, trying to sustain, what, the practice by yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, part of this is um, building the muscles. And sometimes it takes us doing it together. And I like, you know, when I remember early on going to gym, I always needed to go to the aerobics class with other people. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd just not do it. <laughs> so it's wise to um, find sangha to practice together. There is this collective uh, uplifting field that supports us. Uh, when we feel, uh, this is in a way we're building our muscles, building a habit, new habit, and that supports and supports us over time. We can learn to begin to see, uh, if we're able to practice by ourselves, but it doesn't have to be like overnight to shift, you know, and maybe that would do a little bit and kind of push the edges a little and little by little, uh, we do this. But always know uh, that there is a way that sustains our practice. If it's the community, uh, 
a Dharma friendship, that's great too. That's great too. So um, I'm going to pass this this along to uh, Kim uh, to wrap up the day. Okay, great. So thank you, everyone, and uh, it's been such an amazing journey through all of the, through this one seemingly simple, highly repetitive sutta. There's quite a lot to unpack there, and I encourage you to keep reflecting on it in your own practice. So the suggestion we'll meet again on Thursday in two more days um, but it would it might be interesting to reread or for some of you it might be reading the first time uh, MN 29 this one on the simile of the heartwood and kind of in light of what we talked about today and what, what we learned from each other that can enliven our next reading of the sutta and see if you might see some different things and then we do encourage you if you have time to look at MN107, which will be our focus on Thursday. And then you might say, what's going to be left for Saturday? And you'll just have to come and see. (laughs) So (laughs) thank you very much. I see it's our time, and I look forward to seeing many of you in a couple days. Be well. You can unmute. Thanks, you all. Do you want to unmute and say goodbye? We can all say goodbye at the same time. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.